and yeah, Naval, I think, was the first person in, in sort of the startup industry, I feel like, who really highlighted the power of observation, right? He says these things that are obvious the second you hear them, and they're using simple words, and, you know, they're not really uh, inaccessible to anybody, but he was the first one to, like, notice it and put it in that way, and he gets, I think, a lot of credit for that. Uh, and so I always try to keep that in mind, like, when I, when I try to tackle a problem, either I'm writing a book or writing a tweet or building a product. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Sahil Lavingia. Sahil, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Excited to finally be here. So when we first met, I don't know what that was, a, a few years back at Amy Stillhorn's house, another previous guest, I hadn't heard much about Gumroad, but you guys have helped a lot of creators over the years. For, for people not familiar with, with Gumroad, can you give them the, the elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah. Haven't been in an elevator in a long time, but it's it's been a year. But yeah, basically Gumroad helps online digital content creators sell their work directly to their audiences. So we help musicians, designers, writers, filmmakers, stand-up comedians, anyone that makes stuff, we make it really easy for them to sell that stuff directly to their audience, generally social media or blog or newsletter. I started the company in 2011, right when I feel like social media was really becoming a thing. And I felt like there was going to be this big shift where people would start selling, you know, D2C, you know, direct to consumer, because you could now talk directly to your audience, which was kind of a new thing. And so I think, yeah, it's been, you know, 10 years in, we've sent, I think around $400 million to creators. So yeah, around 170 million of that was last year. So yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a ride, definitely ups and downs, but still around, still Uh kicking. And a forthcoming book of which I've pre-ordered. What made you, well, tell people about the book and then tell us why you decided it was time to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. So the book is called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. It comes out October 26th. And why did I write the book? I mean, honestly, so I wrote this essay on Gumroad around two years ago in 2019 called Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. And that was kind of the you know, kind of like the origin story of Gumroad and then like raising money, we raised around $8 million in venture capital. And then we failed to raise a series B. So I had to let go almost all the staff and we kind of reset from zero. And actually part of it was living in Utah and like talking to people and I'm, they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I failed to build a billion dollar company. And they're like, what? Like, what does that even mean? What do you, that doesn't make sense. You're running a business, like it's profitable, like and so just having to kind of explain this kind of like what startup ideology is, you know, over and over again, I was like, I'm just going to put this in. I did that. And then this book is kind of like, well, that's not, it's kind of like what not to do, right? In a sense, like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't chase unicorns or, or you know, these sorts of things. What will, you know, the, the kind of the, the corollary would be like, well, then what should you do, right? Like, how do you actually build a business? And, and so that's kind of what this book is about. It's like, I really believe that like entrepreneurship is like the greatest force for innovation. And not only is it great for humanity because of that, but it's also great for the entrepreneurs. Like it's an incredibly freeing thing to be able to do. And it's like the power of software and social media is like, I I think like basically anyone can do it. Anyone can build an audience and build a product and 
every year it gets easier and easier and easier to do it. And so, yeah, this kind of book is about, you know, kind of like, how do you actually do that? Like, how do you build a software business from scratch? What does that look like? You know, what tools do you need? What skills do you need? Who do you need? And trying to make it as, as kind of turnkey or playbooky as possible, right? Which is not to mean that like, you can just pick it up and like, you'll have a business in a year, but hopefully it gives you all the things like you need, right? So like, and every, every, I really wanted to reduce the fluff. I think it's, you know, business books kind of have this, like, you know, kind of the trope of like, they're just, it's like the first chapter is amazing. And then you can like skip the rest. Right. And so every single chapter I tried to basically make a book, like the first chapter is on the minimalist entrepreneur. The second chapter is on starting with community. This third chapter is on building product, which would be a whole book in itself. Fourth chapter is on sales, which would be, could be a whole book. Then marketing is a whole chapter. So every, you know, and then what, what I'll just go through the rest because I'm almost done with it. Marketing and then growth, like leadership growth, finances, hiring and firing culture, and then purpose are like kind of like the, the, the eight different. And that's it. I mean, one of the things I really wanted to do with the book, and we'll see if I, you know, kind of did it, but I want to just really make, make it feel doable right? Make it feel like anyone can start a business. Cause I really believe that. And I think a lot of people, when I talk to them, they just, they just assume that running a business is like some crazy thing. <laughs> like you wear a suit and you have a briefcase and you like have, you know, you're staring at monitors and all this crazy stuff is happening. And when I really describe like what my job is to people, they're like, that's it, you know? So you know, I just, I just want there to be more entrepreneurs. Like, I just think more people starting businesses would be really good. It's never been a better time. And so, you know, but the longer you wait, the more competition you're going to have because it gets easier to get started. So like you should start now. Right. So that's kind of some of the, the ideas behind the, behind the book. Well, I'm looking forward to it coming out and just some of your other things that I've read. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to your approach. I think I like, I'm such an audiobook nerd. I, I listen to multiple weeks books per week typically. And I, I really appreciate your thoughtful approach to your writing and less of a you all need to do it my way that comes across so often in nonfiction business literature. It's I feel yeah. like you give the reader permission to take what they like and leave the rest. And I think that's kind of a gift. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, even when I read business books, for some reason, I'm not sure why. Well, I, actually, going through the process, I feel like I've learned a little bit about why. But yeah, you pick up a book and it's it's like, it's kind of like a, a Bible more than a, you know, it's just like very much like, this is the way you need to think about this problem. And, and generally like, this is the right only solution. Right. And, it, and, and for some reason, the solution is like one sentence long. <laughs> it's like, this is the, this is the question you need to be asking of everything. Or like, this is the way you need to be solving every single problem. And the, yeah, the truth is like, Life is not that simple or, or easy, you know, and everyone has like, I mean, I can listen to like Naval and he'll say schedules are stupid and everyone should just do whatever they feel like. And you should just, you know, you know, kind of find the work that feels like play. And that works clearly works for him. And then I'll meet Ben Thompson who runs Stratechery and he's like, I hate what I do. <laughs> I have to sit down in front of a computer and do it. And he's like running the most successful business newsletter on the planet. So like, there's just options right everyone is is built different and not only is everyone built different but like you change it you know yourself right like the way that you, you like you might be an early bird and then you might wake up one day as a night owl like this, this happens and so yeah i just think it's really healthy to say look these are the these are the you know the options that you have this is how i've done it 
you know, I really believe that, for example, like I really believe that you should charge money for what you build. Like you should build software products and then you should charge money for them. But a lot of people would disagree. Like Zuckerberg would probably disagree with that. Right. And, and Facebook is, I think, a valuable, useful company. And so, you know, I think people just have to say, okay, what matters to you? And like, I think it's, yeah, it's nice to be like, look, this is what I believe, but like, take it or leave it. Right. Like just, just let the, like, let these ideas. And even with my tweets, which sometimes are a little bit more prescriptive, it's the goal is to kind of say, look, just like, think about this for a second and then leave it. You know, I never, I think trying to get people to change is such a difficult, impossible kind of stressful thing, right? Like if you want someone to change, it's like a good, it's a great recipe for, I feel like being unhappy. So, yeah, well, let's talk, I want to talk about kind of how you've got a unique frame of reference for this stuff. And can you talk about the early days at Pinterest and and kind of what you took away from that? Yeah. Yeah. So before Gumroad, I was employee number two at Pinterest. It was my first job. I was 18, I think at the time. Yeah. And in some ways it was, it's kind of crazy seeing where, how far they've come. We just but... had the global head of creator marketing on the show, by the way. So it was kind of oh, really? fun. Oh, that's awesome. Fun thing to see you in the creator business. And now they're finally <laughs> embracing it more. Go on. Sorry. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The creator creators. Finally, finally in. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is, is it was just a normal startup, right? Like it just showed me that like the, the tools that you have are the tools that everybody else has to, right? Like you're built, you know, it's like a MacBook and an iPhone and an internet connection and a coffee shop in Mountain View. And that's how Pinterest, I built Pinterest for iPhone by myself, you know, has, I assume now at this point, hundreds of millions of users, obviously not my own code anymore. But it's just the beauty of software is that you can build something once and then millions and millions and millions of people can use it. And there's nothing really special. It's, you know, I used to think I grew up in in Singapore and I moved to the US and I, I, I suspected that like Facebook had access to like supercomputers or like I didn't know like what, what, did, what did a startup actually look like? Like what does, for example, like if you're like, what does a bank look like? I don't know. Like I would just imagine like, you know, like the scene from Batman or something, you know, like a bank robbery kind of aesthetic, you know, I just didn't know what it, what it was. And like, when I realized like, Oh, it's just like a bunch of people in an apartment, you know, in front of some laptops, like writing code. And that's it. It's like, it was like very, I like to say like you, you basically, it's very freeing, but it's also incredibly scary because you just don't have any excuses. Right. Like if you, if you did believe there was like sort of, you couldn't do something or you didn't have enough money, or you weren't in the right place, then you would have an excuse, right? But like, when you realize like, oh, these people are just people who are building software because they want to, if I should say, like, I can, you know, I can, I can do that. Like, I don't have a, like, what's my excuse not to, right? Obviously, you, you don't have to, no one forced to do anything. But like, for me, it was very, it was very freeing to be like, okay, wow, like, I can start a company because like, these people did. And like, I was, you know, I joined like this much later, but I only got this tiny sliver of the company. I should go start my own thing. And like, but, but being there is what gave me the confidence and like, you know, to be like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is it. And that's a lot of what you need sometimes. And part of the book, honestly, like if, if someone reads the book and is like, this is it, I would be happy (laughs) because it would just show them that like, yeah, that's it. Like there's this is what a business is. You build a product, you ship the product, you ask money, pe- people for money, you use that money to hire some people and pay some other fixed costs. 
And then you just do that, you know, over and over again. It's like, yeah, cool. Like, please start a business, <laughs> you know? It's interesting that you describe your experience there at Pinterest and how it all of a sudden makes it feel so much more doable. I think that's been my experience too. When I've been around some very successful folks and realized like they're not a different kind of person. They have just taken certain behaviors and I don't know, like it shouldn't have been a mystery, but for some reason it was like really surprising to realize just like they're just people, which sounds really stupid yeah. to say on my outside voice, but it was kind of a revelation. Yeah, well, I think part of it is when you consume content, one, you're consuming it from people who are probably on the, like on the fringe a little bit more, right? Like you're listening to Kanye and Elon and Trump and, you know, Oprah and Kim Kardashian, like these kind of more extravagant personalities because those are the personalities that people want to listen to generally. But then two, I think everything is edited, right? So when you read a book, you're reading like the 15th draft of the book. And so you think wow, this person must be like a savant because this writing is phenomenal as if it's a first draft for you because that's what you've written. So like, that's what you're comparing against. And so, yeah, I think, I think it just sort of, when you see the sausage get made, right. And you're like, what, this is how it's like a bunch of duct tape holding this thing up. And then it's like, yeah, this is, that's what the whole industry is. Like, it's kind of shocking. Cause you're like the whole, our entire civilization <laughs> It's like a bunch of duct tape, but it works. It seems, it seems like it's working. So, you know, like Steve Jobs has that great quote, right? Like your life will change. Like the day you realize like the world was built by people no smarter than you kind of thing. Right. Like it's a very, I think it can be very, very, very empowering, but sometimes that's what it takes. It takes like hanging out with someone who's done it and is willing to be real with you and be like, look at like, it's nothing special. It's just like, I buy these buildings and then I fix them up. And then I, you know, I do some work. Like I do more work than the average person, but it's just work. Like it's just, you know, it's just watching YouTube videos and applying, you know, applying it that sets people apart, you know, these days. Yeah. I, I think that's such a great quote, that Bill Gates quote. I, I feel like I should maybe like get that stenciled under my wall permanently. So I have to read it all the time. Can you talk about your rolling fund? Yes, totally. Yeah, so my rolling fund started it last year in August of 2020. It's now $13 million a year, writing $100,000 to $250,000 checks into generally early stage startups, though not always. And yeah, it was kind of this AngelList launched this product offering last year, early last year in February called Rolling Funds. And they had a few people using it, but it hadn't really blown up. And I was talking to Naval. And Naval was like, you should start a fund. And I was like, I can't start a fund. Like, I don't know how to raise millions of dollars. Like, I don't know even how, how do you pick a number? Like, how much money do you start with? And, you know, every number feels big. And, and with rolling funds, you basically start from zero. And, like, it grows every quarter. And I think they waive the fees for the first, you know, two quarters or something. So you can start at, like, 100 grand from your, you know, your friend of, of friends network and see what happens. And so I started raising this fund. I just DM'd. 50 people or hundred people, you know, I'd worked with in the past. And can, can you within, explain a rolling fund for people who, who aren't even familiar with the format first? Yes, yes, totally. So the way a rolling fund works is it's effectively an SPV every quarter, right? So a traditional fund, you raise, let's say $10 million and you say, I'm going to deploy this capital over four years and manage it over 10 and, you know, collect fees on that. And 
but that requires you to like raise 10 million. I mean, that's a big number with a rolling and, and it's a bundle, right? Like you raise all this money and you get all this money and then you deploy the capital over several years, you deplete the capital and then you start another fund, right? Which may be $20 million based on how well you've done or, or what have you. Whereas with a rolling fund, it's like, imagine if every single quarter was a new fund. So quarter one, I'm on my fourth quarter now. I like quarter one was 5 million or like 5 million a year. So like around $1.2 million. And then quarter two was like 1.8 million, I think. And then quarter three was 2.1. And now quarter four is 2.8. And my next quarter is going to be 3.2, I think. So it just grows because, you know, I can constantly be taking in new LPs and the feedback loop is so much tighter because of that, right? You can kind of iterate on a quarterly basis. And the other really interesting thing about rolling funds is you can do it publicly. So that was kind of the innovation that I brought to AngelList. And I think why it kind of, it got heated last year and it kind of entered the zeitgeist of, of kind of VC Twitter was generally with, with funds because of the SEC exemption, you can't talk about it, right? So you can't generally solicit. You can't say, hey, I have a fund. I can't go on Twitter, which to me, like we've been talking about, why does Gumroad exist? Well, it exists because like, I believe that social media was going to allow you to talk to your audience. And that's going to change everything, right? And so rolling funds is kind of just like the application of that, which is like, what happens if you have an audience and you can talk about your fund and you can raise money on an ongoing basis? It means that I can do something that no one's ever done before, which is go on Twitter and in front of 100,000 people say, hey, I have a fund. You can become an LP and and do this publicly in, in a way that, you know, has never, has yeah, never never really been, been done before. And is the exemption a regulation A plus so you can take it from anybody or is it like a... Uh, Reg D five hundred six C, so it's accredited only. Or do you know which one it is? Yeah, it's it's a five hundred six C, so it's okay. still only for accredited investors. Unfortunately, I am very hopeful that in the next ten years we'll we'll see movement on that in a legislation wise. But yeah, currently it's still only accredited investors. But at least you can talk about it um, publicly, right? That's and the same. That's the same with our real estate fund. We did a C so that we can talk publicly. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really amazing. And it was funny because when I launched it, like all of these VCs were like, you can't do this. This is illegal. And I'm like, actually, in 2015, <laughs> the Jobs Act made this new thing possible because guess what? The internet kind of requires you to be able to do this, right? Like YC Demo Day and Angelist Syndicates, like this is a thing that's happening and there have not been any scams to date. So, you know, we should probably should probably allow this right and so yeah it's it's a pretty amazing innovation that like you know for whatever reason like d- just it, it's funny because yeah real estate like o- i feel like other groups of other people have adopted it and vc is supposed to be like the innovative class and we were like the last <laughs> like where i feel like is we love backing innovators but like actually innovating on venture itself is kind of scary i think to a lot of vcs and can you can you talk a little bit about your thesis and what you've decided to pursue yeah, totally. Yeah. So, you know, my, my simple thesis is I believe software is like one of the greatest changes, you know, sort of since the printing press, like I would say money and then writing and then software, like other kind of like three stages of, of sort of, you know, hyper scalable, you know, kind of fungible idea generation and sales and all these sorts of things. Like it just, it's just so much better every, every sort of civil. And it's like civilization is also kind of unrecognizable, right? Like before and after money, before and after writing, before and after software, I believe like civilization just looks very, very different in terms of government, in terms of money, in terms of 
in transportation, in terms of supply chain, in terms of manufacturing, like everything changes because just like the building blocks that you're building with society with are just fundamentally different. It's like electrons instead of bricks, you know? And, and I believe startups are like the best application of that, right? Like startups are basically you raise some money and then you build a bunch of software and they're phenomenal returns for investors. The problem is that just most people can't invest in startups. Like trying to diligence a startup is very, very difficult because unless you've been early at a company or started your own, it's very difficult to vet. You also don't have the relationships with these kinds of people. They previously were located in a very specific part of the world. Now that's changing changing a lot with COVID. And so, yeah, my thesis was really simple. It was like, I have a big audience on Twitter and other social media platforms. I have been a founder. I've written things founders like. So like I, they asked me to be on their cap table a lot. I don't have the personal capital, but I can raise money in this new way from a couple hundred at this point LPs like Naval and Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon and Tim Ferriss and a bunch of other folks. And that gives me 13 million bucks right now that I can go give to startups, you know, $100,000, $250,000 at a time. And basically let them continue to do whatever they plan to do, right? Like as a founder, I know what's important, which is like, I need your money so I can go hire some people and then I need to go build stuff for a while. And so, you know, it's, it's a really simple model. I don't really have a thesis in the sense that like I'm focused on a specific sector because I just think software is going to change everything. So you kind of need to go broad. Um, otherwise, you just kind of say no to deals that you shouldn't say no to. But yeah, I think I think that's sort of like the baseline thesis, and it, it's super people driven, right? At this early early stage, pre seed, seed, pre revenue, often pre product, it's it's like a bet on the people. It's a bet on like, can these people build stuff? Can these people sell? Can these people hire? And luckily, you know, if you've been in the valley and you've met a bunch of these people and you've started companies and things like that, like you have a pretty good mental model, I think, of like, okay, this is a founder personality, right? This is someone who can build, can storytell, can hire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about a few of these people on your track record? You know, HelloSign, MoveLink, Lambda. Yeah, it's not too bad. Figma, Notion, Clubhouse. What else is there? Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, I think. Go ahead. It, and it's a small portfolio, you know. So my first, my, when, I, when I started, it was 2011. I was at Pinterest and I was like, I need to. Angel investing is the way that I can like learn faster. I can like, I had, I was no longer paying for college. So I had some money saved. I could go deploy it into startups. <laughs> My parents weren't super pleased with that, but I ended up investing in five companies and then two or three died. And then hello sign sold to Dropbox for $230 million and movable ink still private. And it's probably 50 X that investment. So like that portfolio is probably up around 18 X, I think in nine, nine years. And then, and then this new, yeah, my new track record, I mean, it's super young, so it's hard to say. I just started investing in 2017. My first investment then was Lambda School. And then I've since done, yeah, Notion, Figma, Clubhouse, Republic, On Deck, and a bunch of, bunch of other ones. We'll see, you know, you it'll know, take five to 10 years. Republic's to see, interesting but, to me. We had Ken on the show. I, I like oh, him. Awesome. Ken is great. Ken is, is, he is that person, right? He is a founder. Like you talk to Ken, I feel like for two minutes and you're like, okay, this, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be on the opposite side of this person. Like he's <laughs> going to <laughs> change the world. And, you know, I hope I agree with him because he, it's going to happen. Yeah. Republic is a phenomenal company. It's the company we used to do the government crowdfunding around, but yeah, it's not, it's not a bad p- p- track record. Yeah. The, the first quarter, one of, one of the other nice perks about the rolling fund is it just makes me 
sort of more diligent because it gives me quarters to think about. So it's not like I just invest for two years and then I have to look back. It's like every quarter I can, I can see how that vintage is kind of doing. And that first quarter is quarter three of last year's so it's been around 10 months is up two X so far, mostly because I did, I did 12 investments and two of them have done series A's from Andreessen and Sam Altman. So it's not bad. It at least shows that like I'm investing in companies that, you know, some of them raise money from top tier investors, you know, so I have good deal flow, right? It's, it, and venture is kind of this interesting, a lot of people try to get into venture and like, it's really hard when you have zero track record. And it's not to say you need to be insanely connected, but you need something that sets you apart from everybody else. And everybody is like, I want to raise money to start a fund, to invest in startups. But it's like, but what startup, all you need is one, just name me one startup you've invested in that either has raised money from a top tier investor afterward or has returned you some capital. And it's just, it's a hard game. I think you, it makes you really think like, oh, wow. It's like, it's easy to write checks into startups, but to actually get into the right ones is 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 not easy. And it's not hackable, right? Like a lot of people, I think they saw my rolling fund and it kind of was kind of an overnight success. They're like, oh, anyone can do this. And that's true in the sense that like anyone can do the software component of it, but building the relationships, having a track record, building a company is really what gave me a lot of that, right? And there's no way you can really, skip that part right it takes years and years and years to build a build a company and there's i have yet i would you know if you if you know any shortcuts let me know but i have yet to find any unfortunately no shortcuts are in my book (laughs) no no shortcuts and no secrets that i have found you know i think over the years as we've talked a bit here and there one of the things I have kind of appreciated about you is I feel like you're a very observant person. You know, I'd be interested in your thoughts, you know, like, let's talk about Naval for a minute. I feel like he's like the Oprah of startups because he's like the only guy that doesn't need a last name, you know? But for anybody who doesn't know who he is, can you tell him just like the tiniest bit about his background and, and AngelList and, and then maybe make an observation of why you think he's been as successful as he has? Yeah. Yeah. So Naval started a company called Angelist, which is basically, I would say, besides Y Combinator, the startup accelerator and incubator, the most disruptive sort of force in venture capital, like syndicates, rolling funds, a lot of their Angelist talent stuff, product hunt, like they've just done a lot of stuff. And, 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 you know, before that, he started a company, I believe, called Opinions in the sort of the the first wave of startups back in the 90s. I think he went to Dartmouth for a CS degree before that, before moving out to San Francisco. And and he's just really good at Twitter. Like everyone should go follow him on Twitter, check out his tweets, N-A-B-A-L. And especially in the last, like I met him, in, you know, 10 years ago, he invested in Gumroad. I met him through AngelList and he cha- he's definitely changed, you know, before he was like super... He was, you know, we've had, I feel like a similar life trajectory where you're like, you know, you start out, you're like, I want to change the world. I want to build billion dollar companies. And then you realize like life is a little bit more than that. You know, you want to have a family and like spend time with loved ones and like learn skills and write and observe. And I do think observation is like a really important skill. I learned this painting when like one of the first things I learned painting was that painting is not about your ability to paint. It's about your ability to observe what's in front of you. And if you can observe what's in front of you accurately, anyone can paint. Like that's the easy part. Writing is similar, right? If you think about writing, writing, you know, typing on a keyboard is not that hard. You learn how to do that in middle school. 
but actually like having interesting, clear ideas and thoughts are, that's the hard part, right? So I think a lot of, a lot of what I think about is like, how do you observe better? How can you pay attention more? And it's kind of counterintuitive because you're obviously paying attention. Like the things are happening in front of you. Like you are seeing what's in front of you yet somehow you're missing a lot of it, right? Like there are things that you just don't notice. There's just too much information in front of you. There's just sensory overload. We're sensory overloaded all the time. And so your brain is always shortcutting, uh, you know, a really simple test that I, I sort of a thought experiment that I use with people is to draw a $1 bill. Everyone thinks they can draw a $1 bill. They know the shape of the bill, but no one can draw a $1 bill because you never needed to. You never needed that information. You, your brain has simplified this symbol in your head, just like, you know, almond eyes that you draw with little three eyelashes or a sun with rays or a house with a triangle on top. Like we just, we just can't help but think in these symbols because it's just, we need to save, basically save information and save RAM effectively. And yeah, Naval, I think, was the first person in, in sort of the startup industry, I feel like, who really highlighted the power of observation, right? Like he says these things that are obvious the second you hear them, and they're using simple words, and you know they're not really uh, inaccessible to anybody, but he was the first one to like notice it and put it in that way. And he gets, I think, a lot of credit for that. Uh, and so I always try to keep that in mind. Like when I, when I try to tackle a problem, either I'm writing a book or writing a tweet or building product, like I always think that the more time I spend in my head thinking about the problem and getting to a solution, like the better, the better off I'm going to be. And, and very many people move very, very quickly. And, and you just, you basically just go in the wrong direction for a year. You know, I think if you can plan well, if you, like, I think it's just a really, really important skill. And it's really uh, transitive, right? Like you can take observation and you learn it with writing or cooking or painting or filmmaking or stand-up comedy, and you can apply it to anything. Like I really believe you can take Dave Chappelle and say, hey, we need you to do this other totally different thing. But the core fundamental skills of observation, of clarity of thought is, is you know, kind of moves perfectly through he might have to learn how to strum a guitar but like he's going to you know once he gets past that hurdle he's going to shoot right past a lot of other people because he has the fundamental skills that he's been working on for decades and i think investing is like this too i think investing is generally the power of observation right like i love the job of an investor because you're literally just paid to read and listen and meet people and like meet smart people and give them money like your job is to give people money like <laughs> It's a pretty, it's a pretty nice gig. But yeah, I think, I think if I, if I am a good investor, if you think about all the things an investor has to do, raise capital, find startups, vet the startups, help the startups or win the, win the deals, right? Win the deals against other investors and then help the startups. The five kind of things. In my view, the, the 99% of the job of an investor, the thing that sets up apart, like the top 1% is the judgment. It's the picking of the right startups, right? Like once you solve the deal flow and the raising of the money, and the helping of the startups, I think the hardest thing is why did you pick Instagram versus pick please? Or why did you pick Pinterest versus yeah. supply? Like that's really, really, really hard. It would be interesting, you know, when you think about, you know, AngelList and, you know, Uber and Twitter and Clubhouse and all these ones, it'd be interesting to hear what he observed back before the rest of us knew about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and you know, it's funny, like I've, I've talked to him a little bit about, about some, some of the deals specifically, right? Like Clubhouse we're both in and he was in earlier than I am, which is the case in basically everything. <laughs> but uh, you know, the crazy thing is how every single one is different, right? Like every, the, the, the rationale and reasoning behind every startup and every investment is like, it's a set of like 15 different variables and it's unreplicable. Like the reasons you invest in Clubhouse are going to be different than the reasons you invest in the next thing, which is why the job is so difficult to copy. You really can't copy someone. You kind of have to build your intuition from the ground up, which is, I think, why it's so valuable is because you cannot copy it. Like you can't sit down and read Naval's tweets and invest like he invests. Like you had to have gone through his experiences and his reflection on those experiences in order to invest as well as he can. And because it's it's based on like such a, a tiny amount of data, right? It's like a, an hour long meeting, a prototype, maybe uh, a conversation over coffee with with you know with somebody, and it's like here's a hundred thousand dollars, you know. Here's $250,000, you know, like joining Pinterest for me or, you know, making iPhone apps back in the day or getting into crypto or whatever. Like you just kind of have to like, you, you, you develop your intuition by making a lot of bets. A lot of those bets are incorrect, but your brain, I really believe your brain just operates on a subconscious level and like is starts to figure this stuff out. Like I can meet with a founder and this has happened where I'll meet with a founder. It'll be a great conversation and I can't invest. Like, I'm just like, I'm sorry there's something feels off to me. And twice in the last year, this has happened to me where like six months later, there's like some big scandal where like there's this startup shuts down or there's like some weird tweets and they disappear off the face of the planet earth and, and stuff like that. And it's like, I just, you know, I'm not super, I don't know, I'm not into voodoo or whatever, but like, I do believe that like everyone is operating at like these kind of lower level frequencies that you just can't pick up on. And you, know what you have the only way is to just do it you know there's some empirical evidence to support that i remember being in a law enforcement training i was teaching about this idea of like you know thinking about humans as humans instead of as problems you know or as objects or whatever right and this other guy was teaching about how to help officers write police reports and it's like you know some guy gets some guy gets stopped in the alley and and the cop stops him in this alley arrests him Ends up he's a really bad dude, and in in the court case, the 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 defendant's lawyer's like, well, he never should have been stopped, and you know you shouldn't have even known that in the first place. You know they're like, you know they're trying to get anything they can to get him off, and so they had to go back to the cop and they're like, well, why, you know, why did why did you stop the guy? He's like, I don't know, I just had a bad feeling, <laughs> you know, and and what's funny is this guy is like an expert at helping cops break down what happened and where the signals were. And it's like, okay, well, where were you and where was he? Well, I came around this corner and he was there. Okay. Was he looking at you? Was he looking away? Well, no, he looked away as soon as I looked at him. And like, he starts, he like just knows all these questions to help the cop identify what were all these signals, you know, that, that triggered your intuition of being in dark alleys for 15 years as a cop to to know like, Ooh, I don't think this guy's, Oh, this guy's supposed to be here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's, it's no, you're exactly right. Like you, you, and I do believe at some point, like, you know, you, maybe you have a sophisticated enough supercomputer, like you'll be able to figure out truly why you came to that conclusion. But yeah, you just, you know, we're not going to get there for a while. And like, there's a great book, Moonwalking with Einstein, where he talks about chicken sexing, which is like, you know, you basically have to pick up a chicken. If it's male, you put it in this bucket. If it's female, you put it in this bucket. Right. And they're doing it basically without even knowing. Like they can't even tell you why they decided it was 
how they were able to make that designation, but they were, they're just, they just do it. And you just, your brain is picking up on stuff faster than you can even notice that you're picking up on that stuff. Right. Like if it's like, if I, you know, if I, if I like scream at you, you're going to react before you have a chance to monitor your reaction. You're just going to do it. And I think investing is, is often like that. And I've talked to so many investors and, and I feel like one thing I've noticed with almost all of the top, top, top investors is that they make a decision almost immediately. Like they make a decision on, am I investing in this company in seconds sometimes? You know, it's really fast. It's, it's uh, Brandon Sanderson, a writing teacher of mine, what he said, he, he said this really, really, really well. He said, how long does it take you to know how good someone is at playing piano? The answer is around five seconds. And that's mind boggling. Like, like you can demonstrate competency, mastery at a skill that might've taken decades to get to in seconds, right? And it's impossible to fake, right? Like you, I could not even fake it for five seconds. And so, you know, it's just the muscle memory, like all the, all the things I don't have. And so I always try to keep that in mind of like, how can I get good at this skill that yeah. I'm doing? It's not time-based, right? How do I actually just improve my judgment, improve my intuition? And, and if it takes me five hours to prove that I'm good at something, it probably means I'm actually not that good at it yet. I need to work on, need to work on that. Yeah. You know, let's talk about other folks like, like Ben at Pinterest. What, tell me, tell me an observation about him. Yeah. Ben, Ben has always been insanely focused on product. Like he, and it's, you know, I had a, you know, I guess we should tell everybody Ben's (laughs) CEO of Pinterest. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Ben CEO, CEO, sorry, Ben Silverman, CEO of Pinterest. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the first people I met in, in Silicon Valley. So I just assumed everyone was like that brilliant and thought that for months until I realized I probably should have stuck around at Pinterest for a little longer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, he just, you know, I was maniacal about product. Like that's always what I get excited about. And he was too, you know, he was just like, we would always just talk about product and like, how do we make the product better and better and better in very incremental ways? Not like we're going to big picture redesign everything and it's going to be crazy. But like, this button is too confusing or like this, you know, just like the, 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 again, observation, right? Like his ability to pay attention to the product and improve it and, and, and fix what didn't feel broken at the time. But the minute he notices it and points it out to you, you're like, Oh, of course that's broken. It's, it's, yeah. I think I really took that away from him. He also was just, he, you know, as a new person, I wanted to build stuff, right? I wanted, I cared about product, but I wanted to ship product. I wanted to build a bunch of stuff. And, and uh, he was, he would basically say no to everything. Like every idea I had, he was like, no, not that the idea was bad. And a lot of these things ended up getting built years and years later, but like the simplicity of the product, the simplicity of Pinterest, the fact that you can probably even today describe it in a sentence, you know, basically it's, it's like, it's like visual bookmarking. It's like scrapbooking on the internet where you just pin stuff and then organize that stuff into boards, you know, and people can follow you or follow your boards and that's it. And that's a $50 billion company. Right. And so I think that really that focus, it, I, I think it took me years, actually. I don't think I realized how important it was, but like it's your, your ability to ship a ton of features is not competitive. Again, it's not what separates you. It's, it's the intuition. It's the building of the right thing. And that's really, you know, really, really hard. So yeah, that's, that's a big thing I picked up from him. It was like, he was just like, if this doesn't fit into the sentence of Pinterest, we can't build it because otherwise we're going to have to explain Pinterest in two sentences, every single new person is going to have to take two sentences to understand this thing. And, you know, again, power software, like you can build this thing and 
it solves the problem and turns out hundreds of millions of, have this, of people have this problem. So it's a, you know, it's a valuable, it's a valuable company. You know, in our conversations over the years, I don't think I've ever told you, like, I'm a totally obsessive pinner. Like I have like yeah, awesome. 28,000 followers. I have like, you know, 60,000 <laughs> pins or something. So my, That's my, crazy. it's like how I deliver on my inner art school dropout. <laughs> it's like pinning like crazy for my idea. So then when I do have like a Saturday to do a painting, I don't have to think of an idea. I just go peruse and go like do a mashup. Oh, I, I want to do a mashup of these 10, you know, it's my efficiency. I, I gather all year long and then my few times that I'm doing art, that's where I go for it. That's awesome. Well, listen, what's, I know we're kind of winding down here. What's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Oh man. What? I don't even know. I don't, I don't keep, maybe I should keep better track of this. I mean, you know, one thing I've heard over and over and over again is how important kids are. Like people just, you know, it's, it's just, it's just profound to me how I've met some, I don't know, people who are, who've changed the world, who built amazing things that they would be incredibly proud to have built. And like, they're like, oh yeah, the, the, the most important thing in my life is this thing that by the way, everyone else does too. <laughs> right. Like it's kind of weird. Like you're the only person who did this, but actually the thing that you value the most is this thing that anyone can do, you know? And to me, I don't know. It's, a, it's just like amazing. And it, it just like, it gives me that perspective. Like it's so easy, I think to get caught up. And even after going through the ups and downs, like you can't help but sometimes be caught up in like, Oh, we're going to change the world. We're going to build this amazing thing. And when I, yeah, when I sit with like Nepal or somebody else and they're like, yeah, the most important thing is my children. And it's like, okay, I don't have kids yet. So I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, I don't know yet, but it seems like I should probably not take my work too seriously. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I have a lot to learn. And so, yeah, I think just like staying humble and like realizing that like, you know, the, the things I think are, are important. Like I know historically I used to, you know, like Gumroad at one point was life or death and it felt like life or death for me and it wasn't. And I suspect that that is, you know, that is probably a trend. It's probably true for a lot of things. A lot of people feel like things feel really you know dire you know when you're in middle school right and like that that you have those moments like every week where you feel like your life's gonna end so yeah i think just just having perspective and i feel like just realizing that like you know you you have a long life ahead of you You, like you know i was 18 at pinterest i was like how do i become a billionaire as fast as possible like you're you just set yourself up in all these very very strange ways and you know nowadays i'm like i have time like i'm not in a rush i have decades you know I actually want, I want to take more time because I think Gumroad, like if I'm having fun, wouldn't I want to have fun for a longer time? Like, why would I, you know, try to have fun in a year? And then, you know, then I have to manage a bunch of people. Like that's not fun. So yeah, I just try to really optimize for like what I want to do. And even Naval recently, like we raised like a small crowdfunding round and he, he was one of the larger investors. And, you know, I was like, Hey, we, there's all this stuff we do differently. Like we don't, have meetings and we, we work async and there's like really no intent for me to ever see any of these people in person ever. And he's like, look, like the way that you build Gumroad, like no one else would have stuck with it for as long as you stuck with it and made it successful in the way that you made it successful. And so your ideas, a lot of them are weird and, you know, not <laughs> copyable by anybody, but you should keep doing them because like it seems to be working and it would be a shame if you raised a bunch of money and then you just did the thing that everyone else does. So that's like, I think the other thing is like, I really, and with this book and with everything else, like I'm like, I, I really want to do things my way. And again, this isn't to say that my way is the right way, but that like, 
I just believe so deeply that like in experimentation and like, I'm okay being wrong, but I'm not okay. Like never having tried the weird thing because just, I don't believe most people try them. Like I think more people need to try the weird experiment. And a lot of people are like, don't you think that's going to fail? And my answer is always yes. Like I assume it's going to fail. Like everything I do, I assume is not going to work. I'm lucky and grateful that I can be in a position where I can basically do that, where I don't, these things don't have to work, but I just think it's important. I think it's important to kind of like, I I call it like take a new walk to work every day. Like you should always be trying out new stuff. You might never know what cool thing that you find or person you run into or coffee shop you see or whatever. Like, and then for the rest of your life, your life is now better because you had this new observation or new experience. Right. So I just, I really try to keep that in mind. Like, what, what new thing can I do today that I didn't do yesterday that no one else has ever done before? Which sounds audacious, but then you realize like the world has never existed in this way. So it's actually not that hard to do something totally different and new. You just have to be willing to, to go out and find it and do it and, and be willing to fall. Well, before my last question, tell everybody the name of the website for the book so they can go pre-order it too. Yes. Yeah. You can check out the book at minimalistentrepreneur.com. Dot com, which I understand is not the most minimal title. So if you want to find it another way, you can just Google SHL, which is my Twitter handle, SHL Twitter, and then, you know, click the URL there and you'll find it too. But yeah, minimalistentrepreneur.com. Love it. Well, maybe my last question here is when, when you're deciding who's going to be your mentors, like who you're going to listen to or who you're going to go back to repeatedly, What's in your criteria? How do you, how you, how do you decide who you want advice from? Yeah. I mean, well, one of the, one of the beautiful things about the era we live in today is you can be, you can learn from everybody, right? As long as they're sharing their thoughts and some, like you can listen to this podcast. And like, I just think I learn more from people I've never talked to than people that I would consider mentors, right. In, in a more official quote unquote official capacity. But yeah, I think high integrity, I think people who've actually built stuff, people who are willing to tell you like what they think, you know, like I can say, Hey, what's, what do you think about this idea? Like I do this all the time where I'll like, I'll like write up a notion doc. I'm like, this is a crazy idea. I have literally nine out of 10 times. Somebody is like, this is stupid. <laughs> Naval or someone on the Gummer team or like people are always telling me that my ideas are stupid because they are like most of my ideas are bad, but I have them. And then I sit down and I try to write them out and I try to, I even will sometimes like design something and then someone will tell me it's stupid. And it's great because I don't have to go, I don't have to think about it anymore. And I got it out of my system, you know, but very few people are willing to actually do that. Like the vast, the amount of uh, startups I've invested in, this happened recently, a week ago, this is a startup is like has 50 or 60 customers. And I gave some feedback, like a customer of theirs. And I was like, Hey, you know, I think, the, you know, and they explicitly asked like me, like they asked everybody else, like, do you have feedback? We want to get better. And I'm like, yeah, here's five things I, you know, here are a bunch of things that I think you can do. You, you can think about, you don't have to do any of these things, right? Obviously it's your company, but this is what I would think about. And they were like, you're the first person to bring that up. And I'm like, what? Like, it's no offense, but it's pretty obvious as a person who's trying this thing out for the first time. Like it, that's one of the first things I would think that many people have had that suggestion. But the truth is like, it's, it, there's such a, for some reason, certain industries or certain jobs, like, you know, you're just not supposed to tell people they're wrong or they can get better. Like it's just uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, right? It's like, Hey, you could have done this better. And it sort of triggers that fight or flight response in you, right? Where you're like, I could tell them or I could just run away (laughs) Uh, and never see that person again. Right. And so I just try to really for myself, but also when I try to meet people and find people in my, my sort of inner circle, like I try to find people who are like really going to be 
willing to tell me. Like one time I, I remember I wrote a chapter of this science fiction novella I've been working on for way too long. And I wrote a new draft of it after getting a bunch of feedback from my writing group. And this guy, Amit, I was like, this is worse than the first draft. <laughs> like you're, And I was like, oh my. but that's better than not telling me that, right? Because then I'm going to stick with it. Right? It's way better to be like, hey, dude, like you, you miscalibrated on this, right? Because again, like what I'm trying to do is train my intuition, not be bet, not produce amazing things, but actually make the system of production, like the factory, like imagine like Tesla versus the factory, right? The car versus the factory. I, I'm the factory. I want to improve the factory. I don't care about what I produced, the cars, like tell me the cars are crap because like, that's how I make my factory better. And just, yeah, very, very few people are, I think, really willing to, to put themselves out there and say, Hey, you need to get better at this, you know, if you want to succeed. But you, I think people, people need that. I think beyond the stuff we've talked about intuition and trying and doing these things, like I think getting really good feedback can, can be really, really key in your, in your personal, personal and professional development. Yeah. Solid advice. I think that's a great place to end. Thanks for making the time for this. Awesome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry. I don't know if you saw my emails rescheduling a bunch, but <laughs> I'm glad it finally happened. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> bye everyone.